The good thing about an ESOP is it makes a good company better. So you keep the same management team, you keep the same policies, procedures, culture, all that kind of stuff. And then what tends to happen is because the employees now are, are beneficial owners, they get very interested in the value of the company. So what you'll see is, like in the case of contractors, Timmy's not showing up for work and I didn't used to care that much, but now I really care because he's affecting my stock value. Hello, and welcome to What's Next, a podcast from Parcion Private Wealth. I'm your host, Terry Cook. In What's Next, we discuss the difficult questions that arise when business owners and entrepreneurs begin to plan for their next chapter. The questions that present themselves through transitions like these often span a wide breadth, from complex financial strategies to emotional conversations around legacy considerations. So for whatever's What's Next throws at you, we're here to help. Today, our guest to guide us through this exit planning vehicle is Ted Lape of Lazier Capital. Ted has an impressive 30-year history in the banking industry and has helped many business owners in setting up an ESOP at their company, including families we serve here at Parcion Private Wealth. So if you are considering a sale or what's next for you and your business, even if it's down the line a bit, you'll gain plenty of helpful insights from today's conversation. Let's dive in. I was a banker for 20 years, and when I was a banker, what I realized is most bankers um, are commodities. You know, everyone just feels like money's fungible, and um, there's not much difference between different bankers, and I thought a great way to differentiate myself was to come up with solutions for people that were unique, and so I started learning about ESOPs, and what a great solution they were when they were right. I mean, they're obviously not right for everyone, but when they are right, they're great. And um, so my clients really loved it. And I got a bunch of banking business out of it. And it was a really good win-win. Uh, and it was a much more fun space. You know, mergers and acquisitions tends to be more adversarial and, you know, tougher. <clears throat> Whereas uh, the ESOPs were very feel-good transactions that, that led to win-win. And, and so that's kind of how I got into it. More, more, more collaborative, and we're going to talk about kind of uh, those aspects that um, that uh, and how ESOPs support, you know, the broader goals of of the business owner. Um, so let's start with kind of in the simplest terms, um, what is an employee stock ownership plan? If you think of an ESOP, think of a four hundred one k with your stock in it instead of Apple or IBM. So when you're selling your company, you're essentially selling it to a retirement plan. However, you get to keep operational control of the company and, and maintain the direction of the company, and you don't lose you know, that, that aspect of it. And then there's all sorts of tax advantages, which I'm sure we'll get into, uh, and, and uh, monetary advantages of how much money you get. Uh, and, and, and so forth. And we can kind of get into how all that works uh, if, you, if you'd like. Right. So ESOP, Employee Stock Ownership Plan, sounds very similar to a ESPP, Employee Stock Purchase Plan. Can you just frame up how they're different um, or different from other employee stock ownership um, plans? Yeah, I guess I'm not an expert on ESPPs, but um, with an employee... A stock ownership plan, uh, the owner sells the stock to a trust, and there is a trustee that the that we help the owner pick. 
And then the stock is allocated over time to the employees for free. The employees don't have to pay anything, usually over a 20 or 30 year period. And uh, the stock allocation is based on what you make. And the employees have to, um, or, or the stock's allocated, um, yeah, as I said, based on what you make. So if you make four times as much money as someone else, you get four times as much stock. And then there's a vesting period, usually six years, um, that the employees vest over. And then if they leave, it is a retirement plan. The stock gets bought back, and they can take that money and roll it into an IRA or a 401k. Um, and so there's all these, <clears throat> there's a structure and there's rules, and it's governed by ERISA, and uh, that's sort of how it works. But in exchange for that, the government has given really good tax advantages uh, to the seller and to the company. The seller is able to sell tax-deferred and ultimately tax-free. And once you do the ESOP, usually the company's going to be tax-free going forward. Um, so the government has laid out this program because they really want you to do it. It's one of the few areas in the world where Democrats and Republicans both love it. They recently passed a bill I like to call the We Love ESOPs bill. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of support for it. And, uh, uh, and that's how it works. Um, so let's take a step back then, because um, you brought up a lot of uh, points and uh, that are going to raise people's interest, especially when you talk about the tax benefits around ESOPs. Um, so can you walk us through, uh, again, the, the mechanics? Um, a business owner is considering selling their business or planning a sale, and there's many options to that business owner. So when they do go down the path to, to, um, of an ESOP, how exactly, what are the steps involved there and what are the benefits that they're going to see? Yeah, so when someone thinks about doing an ESOP, I could take you kind of through our process, which is usually an initial discussion to see if it even makes sense. <clears throat> and then we can tell pretty quickly in talking with the owner if it makes sense. And then usually we'll do like an ESOP 101, uh, which is a presentation with charts and graphs of how an ESOP works. So they feel like they understand how they get their money, how the employees get their money, the special incentives for management teams, all the different tax incentives, and kind of how the whole thing works. And then after that, if they think, wow, this sounds great, we'll go ahead and do something we call feasibility analysis, where we put numbers to all that. So they see the value they can count on. Uh, the good thing with an ESOP is, because of all the work we do, we're very good at knowing the value they're going to get or more. And we've uh, we've done well over 100 ESOPs and all of them come in at or, or better than that. So you got certainty of what you're going to get. Uh, and so we tell them what they're going to get and when they're going to get it. You know, uh, how much you get at close, your one, two, three, four, five, um, how much do the employees get and when do they get it? How does the management get their money? You know, we go, we put numbers to all that stuff. And then people feel like they can make a decision about whether or not they want to do it. And uh, it takes it takes about a month to, to do that feasibility analysis. And then if someone says they want to go forward, it takes about four months to do the actual deal. And then if they do the deal, it usually takes four to five years to get the purchase price. And another year or two, uh, to get extra money that they get because they don't get all the money up front. They get extra money because they get money paid over time. They get a 12% return and they get that money over time and all that's laid out. Right. So um, I'm a business owner and I'm looking at 
a sale to a strategic buyer, a financial buyer. I'm looking at a just a pure sale. Um, and I'm introduced to ESOPs. What characteristics and how do those two different and how, how is the business owner affected by one path versus the other? And in short, how is an ESOP uh, different than a, uh, than a direct sale? A third party sale. Uh, great question. Um, as I've gotten older, I'm 58 now and I got a lot of gray hair and I'm the same age as a lot of these sellers. I've come to understand that there's really two parts to the sale that people care about. There's the transaction, which is the thing investment bankers and you know people in the financial industry think about. You know how much money do you get in taxes and you know all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but a bigger or as big a piece for people is the transition and. What happens, you know, after I sell it? Um, so when I think about a third-party sale versus an ESOP, I think of it in kind of those two buckets. So for the transaction, the positive of a third-party sale is you typically get more cash at close. Um, the ESOP should be able to pay what a financial buyer pays because that's what it is. So people are surprised that the purchase price should be similar, plus you get a lot of extra interest because you have to wait for the money. But it is possible that a third-party buyer could come in and strip out a bunch of costs and have a bunch of synergies and pay more. So uh, if people are done and they want to go to, I don't know, where people go in Seattle, I guess Arizona or California, <laughs> and they're done and there's, you know, hey, I'm done, you know, that's a third-party sale. Or they're worried Amazon's going to come kill the company or they're going to get legislated out or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, an ESOP, though for people that want to stay and want to keep working at the company and uh, care about the culture and the people and those kind of things. Um, it's, it's a great alternative because the seller typically will keep running the company. Um, they'll typically get more money over time because they not only get the purchase price, but as I said, they get money because they don't get it all up front. And, uh, they get to keep doing what they love, and then the employees and the management team are better off. So financially, um, and then when you look at the tax benefits, usually the owner is going to be better off in an ESOP over time, but they're not going to be better off in the beginning. So that's kind of what people have to weigh. Um, on the transition side, you know, uh, we do M&A and we do ESOP, so we love both. Uh, there's been a lot of studies by people like the Exit Planning Institute that have shown 75% of people uh, profoundly regret selling within a year of selling because people underestimate the dislocation when you sell and, you know, leave the company. And, and even if you're doing a deal where you're supposed to stay around, a lot of stuff changes and sometimes people really don't like that. And so people's lives get upended and then, and then what are you going to do? Um, so if you're not done and, you know, leaving and, and going wherever, uh, a lot of times an ESOP gives a better glide path to the future where you control, maybe you're going to work two days a week or just be on the board or, or maybe you want to keep working full time, but you have control. Right. You, you, you bring up a great point. Um, 
and I've done a lot of research and also have given some some talks on the psychological impacts of selling, which I think is is really underappreciated out there um, going into a sale and probably leads to a good portion, as you mentioned, of that regret post-sale, um, loss of community, loss of identity, um, you know, and uh, uh, purpose and all of those things, right? And so what you're saying with an ESOP, it allows for continuity and more of a glide path, Um on, on, you know, working away from, you know, all of those aspects that a business owner has built up over time. Yeah. I mean, we've done well over a hundred ESOPs. We'll do 40 this year. I, I can't remember any owner coming to me and saying, Hey, boy, I wish I hadn't done that. Um, but I, every week I meet an owner that's like, you know, uh, the, the private equity firm promised me this or that, or the, strategic buyer promised me this or that and it turned out to be completely different and then they bought it and they messed it up and mm-hmm. some people buy back the company that got messed up or you know all their old employees are mad because things got messed you know so there's all these stories um and we we really don't have those in the ESOP world got it but there are so so to frame up the high level advantages certainly the tax advantages which um probably could be an entire podcast in and of itself, because there's um, there's some significant and many questions and drilling down on that. But um, suffice it to say, there are tax advantages, certainly certain um, and significant tax advantages. Um, continued involvement uh, beyond just a couple years or limited time in the in the and control um, surety for employees. Um, involvement and surety and confidence that the employees are going to not only be retained, but be valued. Um, and then uh, a full full and fair valuation. Are those, did I frame up kind of at the high level? The, yeah, at the high level, those are, those are a lot of it. Yeah, and there's a lot more, you know, stuff in there. But that's, I think you did a great job kind of hitting the high points. And the um, potential disadvantage is less upfront of uh, yeah. payment. Yeah, and you got to have someone to run the company. Now, I will say when we do ESOPs, usually um, they're thinking about over time they're going to leave and they're going to have to bring in their successor. So they usually haven't identified who that's going to be. But the stock from the ESOP and the management incentive plans we do, um, they're usually going to use those to go find the person. But if they have no plans to do that and there's not going to be anyone to run the company, then, you know, that would be a disadvantage. You would not want to do an ESOP. Can you frame up for me a situation, uh, real or hypothetical, um, that is kind of the stereotypical uh, example of when a a ESOP is is a perfect example or a perfect solution? Maybe. And are there any particular industries that that it lends itself more towards? Yeah. So, well, first of all, you know, you think about the age, and that's more of a are you a seller or not kind of question. So usually it's someone, you know, 55 or older, although we've done a number of people in their 40s just for cultural reasons. But so first, are you a seller? Um, do you have a, a child you want to just give the company to? Um, or do you want to sell and have the company have some kind of role? So you kind of figure out, are they a seller? And then when you start thinking about, okay, they're a seller, what makes sense? Well, then... Uh, the, the number one industry for ESOPs is manufacturing. 
the number one industry we do, we do a lot of manufacturers, but the number one industry we do is contractors. And uh, one of the reasons for that is contractors in the real world uh, tend not to get great multiples, and we, um, we do very well for them. But it keeps everyone together, keeps all that knowledge together, and it's a great transition uh, uh, for contractors who, who otherwise don't have sometimes great choices. Um, we do a lot of professional service firms. If you think about architects, engineers, consultants, IT consultants, uh, they have essentially elevator assets. They're people that walk out the door at night. You want them to come back. So you think about retention, recruitment, turnover. Uh, a lot of third-party studies by Rutgers and other folks will tell you you'll get a 4 to 5% increase in productivity, less overtime. We've seen that. Uh, and happier people. Um, so we uh, uh, see it a lot in, in that world. Um, any industry where it's hard to sell the company. You have a guaranteed buyer in any shop. You know, we did a company that did uh, essentially uh, cell phone usage in prisons, you know, <laughs> or uh, um, a lot. We've done a lot in the oil and gas industry because we've got 10 offices around the country, including some in Texas. And uh, they have their earnings, you know, can be 30 million one year and zero the next. And, you know, they go all over the place. Um so it's it's we see it everywhere. Um, so it's those kind of industries. But then it's on the mindset where people care about the culture and the people and the longevity of the company, and they they want to have a place in the world. You know, they don't want to get dislocated. Um, and they when they think about other alternatives, they don't like them, so they get frozen. And then all of a sudden they see, well, gee, I get to keep doing what I'm doing, what I love. Uh, maybe work less, get other people to kind of step up more. You know, all of those things kind of lead you lead you to an ESOP. Got it. Um, and I'm thinking of a situation or or an example of a situation that you, that you and I are working on together right now for a family that 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 we serve in a construction in the construction field. Um, and they originally were wanting to sell potentially to a couple of their key employees. And then um, with certain complexities of making that happen, because those employees didn't have the, the capital to, to buy. And so we're introducing the, um, the ESOP concept. And with all the tax advantages, it's interesting to them for sure. Uh, can you explain kind of if somebody, because how, how an ESOP works um, is it's more just based on compensation of the employees, what their pro rata share would be uh, on this. But if they wanted to further incent certain employees, can you talk about it on a high level, how they might make that work? Yeah. So on management buyouts, let me talk about two things, uh, why we almost never see it and what's in it for the employees, if I, if I can. The first reason we, we hardly ever see it is, what, as you mentioned, most management teams have no money and they don't want to go personally guarantee a bunch of debt. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the other big problem is they're going to get paid by the cash flow of the company. Well, if you take the company after it pays all its taxes and then you give the money to the owner and then he pays taxes again, only like, I don't know, 40% of the money makes it through all that. Well, if you can do it in a way where the company or the, uh, yeah, the company's tax free, and then they give the money to the owner and the owner doesn't have to pay tax, then obviously you got a lot more cash flow. 
Um, for the employees, what we show them is, first of all, uh, as I said earlier, the stock's allocated based on what you make. So if you're in the management team, you're going to get more. And then secondly, we'll do a really robust management incentive plan where we'll set aside 10 or 15% of the value of the company for the key management team. And that's usually many millions of dollars um, for free, uh, as long as that management team can go out and perform, uh, they're going to do really, really well. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That's a, that's a big advantage. And, um, the key there that, um, I think is, is a really great way to kind of communicate the advantage is that you're effectively making the, the company tax free in an ESOP situation. So, uh, to your point, there's a lot more money in which to, um, uh, to finance any debt that is involved in here. And I want to talk a little bit about that um, and, and finance the purchase uh, from the owner. Yeah, exactly. If you think about it, um, you know, if you go out and you, you make a certain amount of money and then you spend a bunch of money on capital expenditures and then whatever's left over, you got to pay, you know, all those tax on. And by the way, the Trump tax cuts are set to expire at the end of 25, and it's just going to get worse unless something changes. Um, there's not, you know, there's just a little bit of money left over. Well, if you added back all of the taxes, uh, you know, it, it often adds 50% to cash flow or more. Um, if you, you know, just do the math. Uh, and that's, that's a ton of cash flow. So, for example, uh, I was a banker. And there's this debt service coverage ratio or fixed charge coverage ratio. Uh, if you're at a cocktail party, you can use those terms. It's very exotic. But all it means is the cash you generate versus what you got to pay to a bank. And in a normal deal, you know, maybe it's 1.4. Okay. Well, when we look at, at the bank debt service coverage for an ESOP, it's almost always well over two and sometimes three times what you need uh, when you take all that tax out. So there's a, a lot more room. And that's why the owner can get their money so quickly. You know, if you do a regular management buyout, you might be 15 years to get your money. Uh, we get the purchase price to people in four, maybe five years usually. Got it. Got it. Um, can we talk a little bit about what I was alluding to and what you were just mentioning, the, the, the involvement of a bank or financing institution on, on making this happen and um, uh, does that, depending on the cycle and depending on where, where we are, does that get more difficult and then less difficult at, at times, you know, as we're, uh, as we're recording this, you know, the banking industry is tightening lending standards and whatnot, how, and interest rates have moved quite a bit. How does that affect, um, the, the financials on, uh, on an ESOP? Uh, well, another great question. So uh, let me talk in general and then specifically what's going on now. In general, what banks have found is the two safest areas in the bank are the ESOP portfolio and their asset-based lending portfolio because they have collateral on the asset-based lending. And the ESOP because they have so much cash flow because they're tax-free and the employees care. So um, it's been very good uh, performing portfolios for banks. Uh, currently... Uh, a lot of banks, though, have pulled back. So whereas we used to go to three banks, um, you know, we may go to five or six or seven banks now to get the right deal. 
Uh, and some banks have decided, well, I don't want to deal with contractors right now, or I don't want to do new office buildings, or I don't want to do whatever. And the good news is, because we do so many deals, the banks tend to be upfront with us, both about what they're doing in general and about specific deals, because they know if they kind of string us along, which they often do with clients, um, that we're not going to invite them back to the next deal. So we're able to get at the truth pretty quickly of, of if someone's real or not, you know, on the on the bank side. And um, we've been able to get great financings, but we do have to go to more banks. You know, listening to this and all the advantages, and yes, it's not going to uh, fit perfectly for all business owners, but there are some significant advantages, especially on the on the tax side. So in your opinion, why don't more business owners choose to exit via an ESOP? Uh, the main reason is communication. There are very few people um, that, uh, that, that are able to communicate about ESOPs effectively. Um, another issue is because a lot of accountants and attorneys don't understand them, they're afraid if their client starts looking into it and they don't understand it, they're going to run off without them. So they'll say things like, well, ESOPs don't work, or I knew one ESOP you know, years ago that didn't work out. You know, they know a hundred regular companies that didn't work out, but they know one that didn't work out. And they'll just say something like that. Just say, well, why don't they work? And they're like, well, I don't know. They just don't work. So it's, I think it's mostly just a knowledge thing. So for example, contractors, 20 years ago, only 4% did ESOPs. Um, the latest statistic I saw was 25% do ESOPs. Well, the other 75%, I don't think I know what, what the heck an ESOP is. Um, so it's just, it's mostly a knowledge thing. Uh, the other reason though, would be the ones I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, they wanna just give it to their kid um, or uh, they're done, they're fried. They just wanna get out of the business. You know, they wanna be away from it. They wanna go to wherever. Um, that's, that's why people don't do ESAPs. So you mentioned earlier kind of the timeline um, and how you approach the, with, the feasibility study and then going into valuations. Um, what other, what are the, what are the costs involved and how's that structured um, going down the path of an ESOP? And then also who else is involved? I used to, I usually talk about the success team uh, that a business owner needs to build around themselves as they go into to uh, make these decisions, but uh, what are the other professionals involved in the process? Doing it. Yeah, so great uh, question. So there's a lot of professionals. Um, so it, it does cost a lot of money to do an ESOP. Now, the good news for owners, though, is uh, they're not typically paying those costs. They're financing them. Uh, so, for example, in our deals, all those get added to the seller note. Um, so they get the purchase price and, the, and they get those costs back. Uh, plus, you know, on the seller notes, we're getting a 12% interest, so they get that plus a return. Um, the, and there's also, as I mentioned before, that big pre-closing deduction. So not only are the owners not paying the cost, but they're getting often a couple million dollar deduction for doing the ESAP uh, as well. And then um, the company's now tax-free so even though the company's paying those costs, they're typically the paybacks like under six months. Um, but it's you know it's a couple it's several percent of the value of the company. Uh, 
would would be a rule of thumb, depending on the size of the company. What percent? I just said several because it depends on the size of the company. Got it. You know, it could be a couple percent or more, depending on the size of the company. And that's stuff we lay out for people, you know, if, if we look at it. Uh, is that, that too dissimilar, be, though, from a regular sale where an investment no, bank is going to help? It's pretty similar, except in a regular sale, the seller is paying all those costs. Now, the people involved, um, you have a uh, the buyer is a trustee. And the trustee is a fiduciary, and their main um, concern is, is it fair to the employees? They don't get involved. They're not on the board. They don't get involved in day-to-day running of the company. They're mainly looking at is the price fair, and is there some kind of self-dealing going on? You know, So they're a fiduciary. Um, there's a, uh, a valuation firm that advises the trustee that we work with. You know, We provide the book and the data room and all the stuff you know that that the trustee and the valuation valuation firm need to come up with a value for the company uh there's an attorney that advises the trustee um so those folks are there to make sure it's fair uh and then you have a third-party administrator um these there's a little bit of complexity with the nesop and they handle all that they track all the balances you know they file the form 5500s they do testing they do all that stuff so they Similar to a four hundred one k third party administrator, yeah. and they're you know the CFO has them on speed dial if they have any ESOP questions, and these people do over a thousand ESOPs, so they you know they know the answers to all that stuff. Um, and then you have your your uh, counsel for the company, uh, you know that helps them through the transaction. You got your accountant. You have to have usually at least a reviewed statement when you do an ESOP. Um, we usually interface very closely with the wealth management firm because you're going to get a lot of money and there's a lot of estate planning stuff we work with the wealth management people on to make sure that um, you're going to get enough money for usually three or four generations. So let's not give 40% of that to the government. Um, So we work very closely with wealth management on how to do all that and give a lot of reports to them so they can do their thing. And then uh, uh, in the case of contractors, we work very closely with the insurance agency on bonding kind of stuff uh, because we get bonding for all those guys. Make sure, you know, that that's all taken care of. Um, Try to think if I'm missing anyone, but those are those are the main players. That's perfect Um, and 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 really helpful. And. As you know, you know at at Parseon Private Wealth, we work exclusively with business owners who are planning for and up through liquidity events and um, oftentimes ESOP is a good solution for them. Um, one of the top concerns of the families that we that we serve is um, uh, or, or one of the top values is legacy. Um, and not only for their family, but for their employees and this business that they built over time. Um, can you frame up, and you've done a, you, you've you've touched on it many times, but can you ha- frame up how an ESOP can help ensure a legacy for a company and for a business owner who's built a business over over many years? Yeah, the good thing about an ESOP is it makes a good company better, uh, and the way it does that is so first on the corporate governance, um, usually it'll have a three or five person board, and the seller usually will pick who that is. You got to have one in, uh, or, or two independent board members, just meaning they aren't someone who uh, 
was a vendor the last year or two, but it is picked by usually the seller. And they uh, pick who's going to run the company. So you keep the same management team, you keep the same policies, procedures, culture, all that kind of stuff. And then what tends to happen is because the employees now um, are, are beneficial owners, they don't actually own the stock, the trust owns it for their benefit, but they get statements each year of what their value of their stock is. They don't see financials or salaries or anything like that, but they get um, very interested in the value of the company. So what you'll see is, like in the case of contractors, you know, hey, uh, you know, Timmy's not showing up for work and I didn't used to care that much, but now I really care because he's affecting my stock value. Do we need Timmy or, you know, uh, or, or Johnny's not following our uh, cultural, you know, uh, our culture and, and uh, we need to either fix that or get rid of Johnny. And so you, you see some of that. And um, one example, I'll give you a quick story. We did a deal where the head of sales was always complaining about how hard his life is and he needed first class and he needed to go stay at the Ritz and because boy was he traveling a lot and you know he had a hard life and uh, so we did the ESOP and the next thing you know the owner's telling me hey guess what he's driving now to a Hampton Inn <laughs> and, uh, you know and uh, you know he saw a big transformation in the guy because uh, he, you know, not only was he in the stock, but he had the management center plan, and all of a sudden, he didn't need to be at the Ritz anymore. So, I mean, you, you do get an amplified culture uh, where people care more and uh, sort of self-police that stuff. Yeah, they're, they're, they're moving towards thinking as owners uh, yeah. more and yeah. more. Well, this has been great. Thank you, Ted, for your time and for your expertise today. And obviously, if somebody wanted to learn more, they can contact us here at uh, Parcion Private Wealth. Um, but if they wanted to connect with you directly, Ted, maybe you can let them know how, uh, how best to do that. Uh, great. Thank you. Uh, I would go to our website. It's lazircapital.com. And Lazier is a little different. Uh, L-A-Z is in zebra. E-A-R. Sometimes they want to say laser, but it's uh, E-A-R. Uh, and all of our information's on there, and there's some good information as well, videos and, and learning tools there as well. Thank you to Ted and Lazier Capital for today's interview. Implementing an ESOP requires careful planning, professional guidance, and effective communication. If you're interested in learning more about ESOPs, please visit Parcion's website for our white paper entitled How to Successfully Exit Your Business with an Employee Stock Ownership Plan. There are several options when deciding how best to sell your business, and owners should assess their specific circumstances, seek expert advice, and consider the potential challenges and benefits of the various strategies to determine which aligns with their goals and objectives. It starts with seeking the guidance of a trusted expert. If we can help, please visit us at parcionpw.com. That's P-A-R-C-I-O-N-P-W.com. I'm Terry Cook, and thank you for listening to this episode of What's Next. Until next time.
The information discussed on this podcast is for informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecast set forth may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Any company names noted herein are for educational purposes only and not an indication of solicitation of their products or services. Parcion Private Wealth LLC is an RIA registered with the SEC in Bellevue, Washington. All opinions expressed in this podcast are Terry Cook's and his guests alone. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered investment, legal, tax, financial, or other advice. This show is solely for entertainment and informational purposes only. All topics addressed are of a general nature and do not address the circumstances of any particular individual.